It's time for Bring It Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by The Power Lodge, SCR Northern, Thielen Meats, Tracker Boating Center, Vimer Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Livax Marine and Isle, SW Bait and Tackle, Oars and Mine Marine and Crosby, Freedom Firearms, Newman Construction, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, Your Ice Castle Dealer in Pine River, Crow Wing Recycling, Canvas Tech, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, SPR Motor sports and marine and by radco your truck accessory pros now here's your host for brainerd outdoors brian moon welcome back to brainerd outdoors on b93.3 and of course uh for some still uh deer season we got the muzzleloader season coming up in just a bit late season bow obviously two hunters taking uh part in that but we had uh you know the cwd testing here in the immediate brainerd lakes area and we talked about it going into the deer season so i thought i'd bring back uh, dr michelle karstensen she is the dnr wildlife health program leader to see uh if there's any results from all of this michelle welcome back to the show thanks for having me so uh where are we at what have you guys found out anything yet due to all the testing you've done well, sure. So up on our website, we do have um, our test results posted there daily, and we keep things up as current as we have them. So for our 604 zone, which is the most important for your listeners in the Brainerd area, uh, we have collected a total of 3,493 samples. That's like since archery opened. And we have results back for 1836, which are all not detected which is good news, and the remainder are pending at this point, and we anticipate uh, those results to be in within the next week on that group. So that's good to hear. Uh, is that pretty much what you guys were obviously hoping, but uh, nothing surprising so far? Nothing surprising for the north. We're hoping for it to all be not detected because we've only had that one case. Um, so we really are fingers crossed we don't have more infection on the landscape. Uh, we do. We are finding some more cases in the southeast where we've had more of a persisting disease. Uh, there we have uh, seven new positives that have been confirmed and one suspect pending, um, all in areas where the disease was found previously. So uh, some good uh, news on that front. And then, as you said, down in the southeast, a little bit different story, but uh, hopefully that will uh, change as well. Uh, You know, last year, one of the things you guys were really happy with the DNR was the hunter, not only cooperation, but patience and and the way they went through this whole thing. Uh, Did you run into that again this year? Were hunters pretty receptive? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had a, a great turnout for opening weekend. I was working at the Crosby Station, and, you know, we did over 500 samples in two days. And, uh, you know, maybe the longest wait at any one point would have been 10 to 15 minutes at the, the peak of the rush, which is always after dark. Um, but folks seemed pretty satisfied with the process and that we were getting them through quickly and didn't take much time once we had, you know, we're working on their deer. So we didn't really um, have much much as far as concern from the hunters about wait times and they seem to understand the process at this point. So it worked out pretty well. Anything changing in the process from here and then into muzzleloader and late season bow, Michelle? Well, right now we're still in the firearm season. So, you know, some of the folks don't know the season is extended in uh, 604. So we are, you know, still hunting through this weekend. So I'll be at Crosby. Come visit me with your deer. Um, and then after that, it's going to be uh, the remainder of archery and, and muzzleloader season coming up. And at that time, it'll be the self-service uh, CWD uh, sampling stations, just like we have been doing since the start of archery, where hunters that successfully harvest a deer can just stop by and leave the head for us uh, for testing. And 
we'll proceed with that through the end of the season. And once again, the DNR website, uh, that's awfully handy for any information or questions people uh, need. So you can check that out as well. One last thing, Michelle, uh, I know Wisconsin's deer opener is uh, this coming Saturday, and a lot of people head over there. What should hunters know in transporting, if they're lucky enough to bag a deer over there, transporting it back across the border? Yeah, right. We should, you know, remind folks that we do have an import ban, so you cannot bring the whole carcass back intact from any place outside of Minnesota, which means hunters should make a plan. So they either can use meat processors locally where they're hunting out of state or quarter the deer and come back with those parts. Uh, remember to leave the brain, ribcage, spinal column, those kind of materials all need to be left in that home state and not brought into Minnesota. And if you are fortunate enough to shoot a trophy animal, uh, you can have it caped out in the state that you're in um, for probably about 50 bucks, and then bring it into Minnesota uh, when it's free of brain material and use your favorite taxidermist that's in state. Um, and there's some other, you know, website. On our website, we do have some videos for how to cape a deer yourself, also how to quarter a deer yourself if you haven't ever done that before. So there's some tools out there for hunters, but the bottom line is be prepared and make a plan. There you go. One last thing I wanted to touch on, Michelle, and this came out last week uh, for grouse hunters, and it was detected up in uh, Itasca County. Uh, This is the first I've heard of a disease called EEE. Uh, What is that all about? So this is a virus that's transmitted by mosquitoes, and it's called eastern equine encephalitis. And it's a similar disease to West Nile virus in the sense that it's mosquito-borne, and the mosquito has to bite an infected um, bird first and then bite a human or another mammal to transmit the virus. And so this isn't a new disease. This isn't new to Minnesota either. Um, However, we've never found an animal actually, a wild animal, sick with the disease before these grouse cases appeared. And, you know, we've been looking for West Nile, so the hunters turned the birds in thinking that, you know, maybe this was West Nile virus, and we were all surprised to find out it was triple E, which is the equine virus. Um, And that has been um, found at least... Antibodies to that virus were found in wolves and moose and work that I've done in recent years. So we know it's out there, um, but to actually, you know, find some animals that were clinically sick from it was a first for us. Were you surprised by the detection in the grouse? I was surprised that we we picked up triple E in sick birds. Yeah, um, you know, I don't think you know it's the sky isn't falling, and this isn't again a new disease, but it's just demonstrating that when hunters are aware and they're seeing birds that aren't normal, and again the hunters here noticed the birds um, were uh, you know unable to fly or, or like a lack of flushing, so the dog could just catch it, which you know sometimes helps my grouse hunting. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but they just noticed that the birds weren't really flushing, and then also some of the hunters noticed the muscle mass wasn't normal. So when they breasted out the bird, there just really wasn't much breast meat there. And so that just triggered, you know, a reaction to them that, hey, I should turn this bird in because it might be something wrong with it. And so we never would have found this uh, these cases if it wasn't for our grouse hunters taking an interest in the health of the birds and turning them over to us for some additional testing. So, you know, when you look for things, it's kind of how you find them. And so we're happy our hunters are engaged, you know, in the health of these birds and working with us to find out what's going on. And what you had mentioned there and what those hunters found is should that be the red flags for hunters that maybe are out uh, doing some grouse hunting, they shoot a bird that they should look for and then contact you if they think something's up? 
Yep, that's really, you know, indicators that we're looking for is abnormal behavior and then any other abnormalities that they might find with the bird in hand where it just doesn't look normal, you know, let us know and uh, we'll see if we can figure out what might be going on. And we always, you know, people always follow up with these things on, you know, the next question is what happens if I somehow consumed uh, a grouse that was infected with this disease? Uh, Is it going to affect me? What are the situation there? Yeah, this one isn't really going to be much of a concern for, for humans because you need to be bitten by the mosquito, you know, to get this virus. So we always recommend if there's an animal that we are harvesting, no matter what the species, and it's confirmed to have a, an illness, not a good idea to eat it. So, you know, eating sick wildlife is something I never would recommend. However, proper handling is something like this with cooking temperatures above 145 degrees would kill a lot of bacteria and viruses anyway. But I think just better, you know, peace of mind is if you have an animal that was confirmed to have an illness, might just pass on consuming that product. There you go. That is Dr. Michelle Karstensen. She is the uh, DNR Wildlife Health Program Leader with the Minnesota DNR. Uh, Michelle, always appreciate the great info, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat soon. You take it easy, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and it is my pleasure to welcome back uh, to the show Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji with the Up North Report, as Matt uh, gives us each and every week here on the show. Uh, been a few weeks, Matt. How you been? I've been better, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but hanging in there, doing all right. You know, I, I guess to, to backstory a little bit for those maybe that don't know Matt, uh, you took a little spill out of a tree uh, earlier this fall. That's kind of got you laid up, but uh, you're, you're still st- uh, still powering through. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think we've uh, we've talked for quite some time since before my fall. So yeah, like uh, last day of youth deer season, I had Tate out hunting in the morning, and then we went to go pull all the bear stands. And on the second to last stand, it buckled at the second juncture and. I fell like around 20 feet and landed flat on my back and broke my back in two spots and screwed up my arm pretty bad. So it's been uh, kind of a weird road, you know, me and fall um, go together pretty well, like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and uh, and this year the peanut butter was, uh, was without the jelly because I really couldn't do anything. So um, it's been just over a month now I've been pretty much laid up but uh but still able to get out uh, a little bit as of late i was able to take take deer hunting and i was able to get out deer hunting with the help of a friend and um you know i can't really drag a deer or even gut a deer or anything like that so with a lot of help from from some really good people and good family i've had uh had a little bit of a fall experience uh, no pun intended but um but yeah uh, healing up pretty good and Things are getting better every day, so I'm hopeful, hoping for a good uh, ice season. And the next fall, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to work twice as hard to make up for um, my lack of fun this fall. So yeah, well, it could have been a lot worse, Matt. So I, I know it's probably hard for you to fathom that right now, but um, we're glad that you at least uh, okay and uh, healing up pro- properly. And uh, yeah, you said you'll be ready and raring to go here before you know it. Yeah, no, and I've <laughs> I count my blessings every day, like. Um, I, I have very few days, have had very few days where I, um, felt sorry for myself or anything. I'm just happy that it didn't turn out worse because I, 
I know how bad something like that can be. I mean, it was a level three trauma when I got brought in. So, um, you know, level three trauma is usually <laughs> touch and go and you never know what can happen. And, uh, I, I consider myself lucky. So, yeah, well, we're glad you're okay. And we'll, uh, pray for you, Matt. Um, basically we're going to talk a little ice fishing here a little bit later on because you get up by you, you're usually, that's where it uh, starts to freeze first. And a lot of ice anglers head up that way, but coming off the deer season, you mentioned your son Tate actually, uh, got a deer. I know you talked to a lot of hunters up that way. Uh, was it a pretty decent season? I know we still have some of the season left, but uh, so far so good. It's been really weird. Um, like we, we did okay. Um, the, the buddy who came up and helped me, he was able to harvest a nice doe and then I shot uh, a little buck and then uh, a couple of young ones and just helped fill some tags and and filled both of my tags and then Tate shot his first ever buck. Um, and Nikki has seen like over 50 deer, but she is after this giant 10 pointer and she, <clears throat> she has 10 times the patience I do a hundred times the patience I do. Um, and she loves deer hunting. So she's kind of holding out and hopefully, hopefully this weekend she gets a crack at him. And if Sunday rolls around and she's still seeing deer, um, I'm sure she'll end up taking a door or, or something a little smaller than that 10, but, um, but, you know, we've done okay. It's been um, a, a lot of hours and a lot of miles, and it hasn't been easy, I would say. Like, yes, we've harvested quite a few deer, but it's not like we just popped our butts down in our stands and we saw 20 deer each and just took the pick of the litter. It was, it was work. So I think one day we saw, like, nine deer. Another day we saw seven. Uh, the, t- the day Tate shot his buck, that was the only deer we saw that day. So, so it's not like they're uh, they're running around the woods everywhere. They they are out there. Um, some groups I've talked to are like, "Yeah, this is the easiest season ever. Everybody shot their bucks their opening weekend, and we're all done, and deer are being processed." And and then I've talked to other people that are like, "I've seen one deer all season." Um, so it's it's very strange. Um, it seems like it it really depends on where you're hunting. Uh, the rut timing was perfect. Opening weekend, um, bucks were chasing like crazy. Um, I, I saw many, many bucks chasing, um, either in our yard or neighbor's yard on one of the two farms or even, uh, a farm down the road. I saw buck chasing and then in the state park, which is where it feels like all the deer run <laughs> during deer season. Um, I've seen a lot of bucks chasing those. So everything should have turned out pretty well this year, but, uh, but yeah, I've talked to a lot of groups who are having a lot of, uh, a lot of trouble and struggling, so. One of the things, and I know you probably don't have to deal with as much agriculture up there, Matt, uh, as we do down here. And then we were talking with Brent Beimert the last couple of weeks, and his uh, hunt down in Illinois has been screwed up because of all the crops that are still in the fields. For those that do have some crops up there, are you kind of running into that as well, or is that all harvested out? Um, People around here got pretty lucky with, uh, uh, you know, we were super wet as well, but um, that early early frost came, and I think a lot of farmers were able to um, to get a lot of crops out, and some of them already had silage out, so um, made it a little easier. But uh, but there's a lot of areas uh, across the country that just are you know they're they're taking a hit on on crop loss this year, and they're leaving their stuff standing. And pheasant hunters have talked about it, and deer hunters have talked about it. Uh, Southern Minnesota, you know you drive down there and you'd be hard pressed to find a, a picked cornfield. I mean, they're 
a lot of the corn is still standing, and the pheasants and the deer and everything else is just chilling in the in the cornfields. They don't really have to go anywhere else, and it's good luck good luck pushing them out of there. I mean, we used to do it when I was uh, when I was a kid. When we'd muzzleloader hunt in southern Minnesota, you'd find standing corn, and you'd push a huge group of people through there and have people posting at the end. But um, looking back, it wasn't like the safest or smartest idea, but um, but it, it's feasible and. But every once in a while, you'd have deer sneak around you. I mean, the, the term corn maze is definitely true and real. So, yeah, that's something I think a lot of people are dealing with is, uh, you know, crops are, are getting in the way up here. We, you know, we don't deal with that as much, um, but you, you see it in pockets. One other thing I wanted to pick your brain on, Matt, was uh, grouse hunting up there. Obviously, that's affected with the deer season, a lot more people in the woods. But uh, how's that been going since opener? Um, it started off okay for me and I got so busy at work that I wasn't really getting out a whole lot. Um, but when I was getting out, I was seeing birds and, uh, my numbers were about on pace, like a normal year, maybe a little lower just because I wasn't out as often. Um, but the amount of birds that we were putting up per, per hunt were really good. And woodcock season was, was one for, uh, one for the books. I mean, it was really, really good. And it helped that Tate was begging me to go woodcock hunting almost every day. <laughs> um, makes it a little easier to get out in the woods and get a free pass when you're when you got your kid begging to go. So, um, so that was really good. But then you know I took a fall uh, pretty much right in right when the prime season was starting. Um, you know leaves were coming off pretty good, and and actually like that day and the day before when Tate and I were deer hunting during the youth season. Um, we had seen like over a dozen grouse when we were deer hunting. So, um, so I was like jacked up, like, you know, <laughs> once he gets a deer, we're, we're, uh, we're going to hit grouse hunting hard. And then, like I said, I took that fall and I missed, uh, probably the best month of, of grouse season. So, um, that made it tough, but people I talked to who were out, you know, they had a good season and, um, I hear a lot of people complaining and just like I do every year about this or that and, uh, you know, misinformation and, you know, this is to blame or that's to blame, but, um, but there's still plenty of birds out there. I mean, you get out and walk and you try new areas, uh, you're, you're going to find birds, especially if you have a good dog. If you're going out to areas that you've been hunting for ages, um, you know, the chances are the trees are a little too old now and, and, uh, the birds aren't there. So you, you know, grouse hunting is one of those things you really need to adapt. You can't just keep hunting the same spots over and over. So, um, as long as people were doing that this year, I think they were doing pretty well. So there you go. On the hunting front, switching gears to uh, ice fishing, Matt, we're into that. Hard to believe already. Uh, home, Your home base basically is Lake Bemidji. Uh, anybody out there yet, or are they mostly on the smaller lakes around Lake Bemidji? Um, mostly on the smaller lakes. There are, have been people out in Lake Irving, which is attached to Bemidji. Um, that freezes a lot faster. It's a lot shallower in smaller lake. Uh, Bemidji, I have not seen anyone or heard of anyone on Lake Bemidji itself. It uh, doesn't mean it's it hasn't happened. I just haven't seen or heard of it. Um, but mostly the smaller bodies of water around uh, Bemidji and people have been out for a long time. I mean, uh, several weeks already. Um, one of our guys, Justin, who is, if anybody follows us on Facebook or, or anything like that, Justin's our diehard winter guy, and he's going to be playing an even bigger role in the winter operation this year with me not being able to do a whole lot um but he's been out 
a lot, and he's been keeping me updated so that I can update clients and kind of know what's going on, and he's been doing very well, um, catching a lot of fish, and he's been checking ice regularly, uh, very cautiously, uh, you know, just because we say, oh, Justin's been out a lot. Uh, that doesn't mean everybody should go out. Justin knows what he's doing. He's been doing this his whole life. <laughs> he works for a guide service and knows, you know, knows the rules. We don't talk about it unless it's safe. And uh, he is checking ice like crazy with a spud bar on his way out, and uh, you know, using life jacket or uh, or some sort of per- precaution. He's always got ice picks and he's using cleats and um, all the safety stuff and obviously floating suits stuff like that. But um, but yeah, he's he's been finding he he's found as as thick of ice as like eight inches, um, but he was also fishing on like three and a half during early ice, so it really varies. And even like Bemidji, I believe yesterday I saw there's an open pocket still on the north end, so um, so it really really varies. So don't just assume because the lake is frozen that it's good to go. You really need to check, but but if you can get out. Um, fishing is really good, and um, and there's there are safe places to go out there. Just got to be careful. Um, this wind we've had, and then now we're going to get a warm up here this throughout this weekend, and we'll see what happens again, I guess. But things are shaping up pretty good. I got a couple of people I know that are heading up to Red this weekend. Uh, they should uh, be okay. You think? Yeah, I think uh, with you know the end of the week cold front we had roll through. Um, you know, that wind might have caused a little bit of an issue up there because, what was it, two weeks ago or or maybe a week and a half ago, um, those anglers had to get rescued off of Red because the wind picked up and the ice started to shift. Um, and it wasn't because the ice wasn't safe. It was just because the wind picked up so much that everything started to shift. And you, while we only get to fish a very small portion of Red Lake, if you look at it as a whole, it's a very big body of water. So... If that that shoreline ice on on upper red starts to pull away, um, it can really shift toward lower red, which is very deep and uh, and very big. Um, it can shift that direction pretty easily, and there's a lot of room for that ice to move around. But as long as uh, this wind at the end of the week doesn't screw things up, uh, I think the weekend should be pretty good on red. Obviously, you got to use caution. Uh, early ice, and I'm I'm way more interested in safety right now than I've ever been. I haven't dared go on the ice yet because my doctor told me if I fall, it's over. So um, even with cleats, I'm I'm a little bit nervous to go out yet. I'm going to wait until there's a, a little more ice and there's a good pack of snow so that if I do happen to fall, there's a nice cushion. Um, I've been eating a lot, too, trying to help with that. <laughs> See, there's always a silver lining in something there. Right, right. <laughs> One last thing, Matt, uh, foot traffic, would is that the only way right now you would recommend? Yeah, that's the only only way I would recommend. If uh, if I thought it were safe for snowmobiles, um, you know, locally here, I would have already been out because it would be really easy for me to just ride my sled Um you know, ask a buddy to go, and they can drive and take the torque of turning the uh, turning the wheel, and uh, and I could just fish right from the from the sled and not have to worry. And I've got plenty of guys that are begging me to go and offering to do all the work. But uh, if I have to step on the ice, it's going to be a scary deal. So if I could sit on my sled, I, I probably would have already been out, and that's probably when I will get out is when I feel it's safe with a snowmobile. So. 
I'll be here before you know it, so we'll keep an eye on that. That's Matt Brewer, North Country Guide Service in Bemidji. Check him out, as always, northcountryguides.com, as well as all over social media. Uh, Matt, you take it easy. Uh, continue to get well, and we will chat with you next week, okay? Sounds good. More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3 and obviously ice fishing on the brain of many uh, heading out, many anglers, as we're getting towards that time of the year. And I thought we'd bring in Brad Hawthorne. He's a longtime Mille Lacs guide. And obviously Steve Saponiak we talked to uh, many, many times out on Mille Lacs throughout the years. But uh, Brad joining us this time around to give us kind of an update. I wanted to talk to Brad because he's got some very interesting tips on how to rig up your rattle reels. Brad, uh, welcome to Brainerd Outdoors. Hey, thanks for having me. The The thing about rattle reels is we've, we've seen them used for years and years on Mille Lacs. It's kind of back in the day before all the wheel, wheelhouses came on the scene. If you wanted to spend a weekend on Mille Lacs, you went out in a rental house, and there was a local guy that, that's passed on up. He used to actually make wooden rattle reels on the southeast corner or southwest corner of the lake, and they were kind of known as the Mille Lacs rattle reel. And... Since then, from the guy making them in his in his shop, we have rattle reels now with bearings in them, like high grade Japanese bearings. Um, you can buy rattle reels now from two ninety nine all the way up to fifty nine ninety nine. I mean, it's just an amazing. It's amazing to see the sport grow from, you know, an old an old Trilene XL spool nailed to the wall, and then drop down the hole you know that was that was done for many many years as well so the the one thing i do different is i use either suffix 50 pound braid that's coated braid so it doesn't freeze or i use fly line and these fly line bolts for a lot of guys what i noticed when you know we do panfish trips i'll go and guide on other lakes too and what i've noticed was the fly line trick was really a localized Malax technique for for utilizing that that line and i didn't really see it in any other corners of the state especially north south dakota wisconsin we just didn't really see it and by using that fly line or that or the 50 pound suffix what it does is it's neutrally buoyant so it acts like a bobber so if you can imagine you've got on Malax 10 to 15 feet of six to eight pound fluorocarbon lead line and then you have another 10, 12 feet of a neutrally buoyant line that acts like a bobber, and it does have coil in it. So when a fish strikes that, that minnow, the rattle reel may just twitch a little bit, a lot less than a bobber would move because it has that, that, you know, that coil in it, just a little bit of loose coil. And then the fish swims off, and the rattle reel starts dinging, and you simply set the hook and battle the fish. There's no more of this hey, let them take it for 30 seconds or let them run for a minute. Like those days are gone. And it's actually, it actually helps the fish. You get a more positive hook set. And it's just a, a way cleaner way of, of presenting the bait to the fish and catching them once you got them on. The, the old way was to, you know, put a bobber on heavy gauge line, a slip bobber, pin it. And then when the bobber hit the bottom of the hole or it ran for two or three minutes, then it was time to set the hook. Well, inherently what we have with bobbers is they tend to freeze in the hole. Um, if you're using a, a 
slip bobber, that bobber can get froze in the middle of it, so that's not going to slide. And you have that constant resistance of that bobber, because typically in the winter, guys are using pretty big bobbers for 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 minnows you know they're using a, a good medium-sized bobber they're not using these little peanut ones for like you use for sunfish so by just using the line technique it's a lot more sensitive the fish in in effortlessly can take that minnow without feeling any weight and the other thing i wanted to point out too was with the fly line and tip-up line having a line marker you know where your depth is set on that line it's historically been a problem and i figured out something I can't take credit for it. I was at a seminar last year. I was giving it out in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I let the, let these guys know about, you know, the line I was using and this and that. And guy in the back corner, I said, I really don't have a good way to mark the line. I said, I've tried electrical tape. I've tried marker. I've tried this. I've tried that. I've tried tie knots in it. And the guy stood up and he said, just pop the clip off a swivel snap and thread it on. And I went, unreal that was the best idea i've ever heard he said he's been marking his line like that for years and years and years he had just never told anyone so i asked him permission i said can i use that i'll give you credit but that is the best idea because when you attach your either suffix 50 pound or fly line to your leader you you want a joint there you have a swivel there so everyone's got a package of swivel snaps so you unsnap the snap you got your swivel you tie that to your 50 pound or your fly line, and then you tie your fluorocarbon leader to the other end of that swivel, slide your clip on the fly line or 50-pound, and you are off and running with a lot less. You get a lot less tangles. You get a lot more natural presentation. And once you set your rattle reels up like this, it's not like you got to change the line on them every year. I mean, I've got fly line setups and 50-pound suffix braid setups that are going on seven, eight, nine years old. And this line you're talking about too, Brad, it's pretty easy to find in the stores, right? It It, it is locally here. What I've noticed, Brainerd Lakes, Mille Lacs area, it's pretty easy to find around here. But once you get, you know, Lake of the Woods, Red Lake area, things like that, it gets a little bit more difficult to find. So, you know, we're seeing it expand because we're promoting it a little bit more. But basically, if you want it, um, yeah, you can go and buy big bolts of it you know at one of the big retailers you can find it there but you're going to pay a lot more for it the stuff that we have locally available here is actually end run is what they call it to where it's it's only 50 yards long comes in multi-different colors and you don't have to buy 100 yards of it for 20 or 30 dollars you can get it for 2.99 to 4.99 and when you mentioned multi-colors is there one in particular that you like to use brad or is there pretty much they're all the same I kind of think they're all the same. It, it, that comes down to the, the end user of, uh, of it. Um, Malax, I'm always using on my rattle reel and tip-up setup, I'm always using a 10 to 12-foot leader on my stuff. So that I feel that that's far enough away. Even if that line is bright orange, it's really the fish is not paying that much attention to it because it's so far away. I'll change it up a little bit. You know, for sure, number six, VMC hook. I mean, that, those hooks, tried and true, have caught more. Malax walleye, I think any other hook out there. They're a durable hook. They come in a multitude of different colors, and you don't have to worry about them breaking. Again, they're good quality. And I'm just using a number six or a number eight hook. I put a rubber core 
or a split shot about 18 inches to two feet above that. And I adjust that weight size for whatever minnow we're using. You know, a lot of times late season on Mille Lacs, we're using those bigger shiners if we can get them, the four, five, and six inches. And those times I may go up to a half ounce of weight. Um, it's unusual, but we will go that high. But that's, that's my basic setup. If I have to, if the fish are really, really negative and I cannot pull them off the bottom, I will take just a regular spoon, BMC spoon, tingler, tumbler spoon, and I will hook them in on the back. I will tie that directly to my tip line, and I will let that lively minnow sit on the bottom with that spoon and just wiggle back and forth. And that has been a deadly slow cold front technique for me over the years. It is amazing, Brad, the evolution of ice fishing. And here we are talking on the show, rattle reel tips. I mean, it shows you how with these evolutions of wheelhouses and all the different ones that are out there right now, how far we've come. We have. It's uh, in in my fifteen years in the in the industry, I've watched ice fishing come from gas augers, where that was a huge thing. Like, holy cow, we can now we don't have to do this by hand anymore. And they they came into the market. They were easy to get your hands on. Like, I got my first gas auger when I was thirteen, and I was so proud of it. I remember the Christmas that uh, my parents gave it to me. And then we've watched the wheelhouse market X. Load. I mean, every given you have to see this, Brian and Brandon. Any given weekend on a Thursday or Friday, you have to see thousands and thousands of wheelhouses pass up three seventy one. Oh, I've seen it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you can always tell when when there's a, a hot bite somewhere, or if, you know, once we get this fishable ice uh, and able to drive out there with those things, it is incredible. So some great information there from Brad Hawthorne, uh, Malax Guide, longtime Malax Guide. Brad, if people want more information on you, how can they find it? They can give me a call at 651-271-8600 or look me up at com. And hopefully, Brad, maybe we'll have you on the show here throughout the winter with some other tips. I know, like I said, it's it's odd talking rattle reel tri- tips on the show, but like we said before, I mean, with the evolution, the way things are going right now, uh, everything is kind of uh, a topical thing now. It, it is. You know, we've got electric augers. We've got sonar in the industry now that has come leaps and bounds from the old green boxes and we see lures just getting the advancements in line the advancements in wheelhouses now like my wheelhouse my yeti house i have i have a full bathroom in that thing (laughs) it's just it's just 10 years ago you never would have thought you you'd seen that people would have laughed at you now we have satellite tv uh you know thin diameter fluorocarbon line we have spoons that actually do throw off the right hues of bait fish now, not just some guy in his basement slapping orange on a spoon. It's just, it's, if you're an ice fisherman, it's an awesome time to, uh, to be in the industry right now. It's almost like fishing out of a hotel room. It, 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 that, that is the best way to put it. <laughs> there you go. Brad, I appreciate it. Good stuff, and uh, we'll talk with you to here down the line, okay? Thanks for having me. And we'll have more of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Time for our Hungry Hunter segment here on the show. And as always, we bring in Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North and Baxter. Joel, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. 
Uh, we've got hunters heading out to the woods, no doubt about that. So you've got something very interesting this week, big game goulash. Tell me about that. All right, well, we're going to start off with uh, start off with some ground meat. You can use you know whatever you're whatever you're out there hunting right now. I guess you can use some venison, um, elk, bear. You know, you have some ground moose sitting around somewhere, uh, <laughs> which I still do. So so you, <laughs> so you got your options. We'll take two pounds of beef or uh, two pounds of meat and a couple of onions, a red pepper and a green pepper. Dice all that up. We'll start cooking off for meat, tossing all those onions and peppers, letting that cook cook together, brown up, adding a little bit of garlic. Um, you can toss in a little bit of wine if you want, kind of reduce that down. Then we'll add in just some soy sauce, a couple cans of tomato, uh, tomato sauce, some diced tomatoes. I like to use diced tomatoes with the green chilies in there. Nice. A little, yep. a little extra spice. A little uh, fresh thyme and some fresh rosemary. We'll also like, let that cook together, kind of come up to a boil. Add in a little bit of water or uh, beef stock or any kind of meat stock that you have. You know, chicken stock would be good for a little salty action in there as well. Let that come to a boil. Add in some elbow macaroni or any noodle for that fact. Let that kind of cook together. As soon as that pasta starts to cook, you got to add a little more water, a little more uh, um, stock, whatever you got to do to keep that just a little bit of liquid in there. You know, top it off a little bit of cheese and. We're good to go. Yeah, this not only sounds fantastic, uh, it sounds easy. Super easy, all one pot. You know, you can do it. You can even almost do it in a crock pot and let it stew over, over the, lunchtime. Wouldn't this be handy, too, for deer camp? Definitely. I mean, <laughs> definitely. So this is one to take with you to the cabin, no doubt about that. And um, I would guess, too, if people didn't have any wild game laying around, regular hamburger would work regular just fine. Hamburgers. Always good. Where well, There you go. Give it a try. If you want to head to our website and check it out, head to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Recipes tab. This one and a ton of others for you to check out. Big Game Goulash, our Hungry Hunter recipe for this week. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North and Baxter. As always, thanks, Joel. Yes, thanks, Brian. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors each and every weekend, uh, Saturday mornings just after 7, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 right here on B93.3. Uh, you can also stream the show live if you're out of town or away from your radio. Just go to BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Listen Live tab. You can also listen on demand there, and we're all over the podcast network. So wherever you download podcasts, search Brainerd Outdoors. Give us a rate and review. We'd really appreciate that. And we'll see you next week for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors. I'm Brian Moon. Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by The Power Lodge, SCR Northern, Thielen Meats, Tracker Boating Center, Vimer Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Liveax Marine in Isle, S&W Bait and Tackle, Oars and Mine Marine in Crosby, Freedom Firearms, Newman Construction, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, Your Ice Castle Dealer in Pine River, Crow Wing Recycling, Canvas Tech, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Bermel Shoe Store in Randall, SPR Motorsports and Marine, and by Red your truck accessory pros join brian moon saturday mornings at seven sunday evenings at seven and monday mornings at five right here on b93.3